new VanCast to finish up the week here at Rancer, and I think this should be some fun. We've got uh, VanCast superfan Farhan Lalji coming on the program. <laughs> superfan Farhan. <laughs> um, it'll be the first time listening to a VanCast without being on a run um, for Farhan. Uh, look, it's Farhan's the best, and I'm hoping today we can get a little bit into discussions. Like, I spent a lot of time in the bubble with Farhan, and now, now right. what people don't realize is, you know, like... The media room at Rogers Arena is basically like a high school cafeteria. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have, like, certain people you sit with, right? Or, like, hang out with. And I feel like you, Farhan, and I is, like, the people I spend the most time with at the rink on a day-to-day basis. And so bringing Farhan in, I think, will be fun. But what I really want to talk to him about, too, is, especially because he's got that wider interest in the broadcast side experience, is what he thinks coverage was like in the bubble and what he thinks or expects from media coverage not just when the NHL returns during a second wave but also beyond this and and how things might meaningfully change um once we're done you know it's funny you mentioned that time in the in the media room uh, it's too bad that on occasion we just haven't been rolling uh, you know some sort of recording because in those moments, and sometimes there's more moments than others, as we wait for Travis Green to get to the podium after a game, like that's our best instant reaction to what we've <laughs> yeah. seen, what we've heard. We've just come out of the locker room. We've talked to different players. We're sort of exchanging info. Uh, that would make for a great pod in and of itself. Unfortunately, that uh, <laughs> that's not something that uh, is errored or errable, but uh, it would be some fun. And you're right. We uh, we generally have some pretty good conversations in there as we await uh, the coach to get his thoughts on on what he's just seen. Yes. No, and, and, you know, just making fun of Farhan for his Edler hate and on and on. I mean, <laughs> I miss that. I miss that an awful lot. Um, but it'll be nice to have Farhan on always always plugged in, always with some good takes, and, and hopefully some bad ones too uh, for, uh, for to, to make me mad, you know, to get that Hulk sort of reaction that I know the VanCast listeners want. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, no, look, it'll be, it'll be fun to have him on, and hopefully he's not running as we record. Well, and it's, look, I'm telling stories out of school, but that's life on a podcast. That's what we do. He, you know, if I tweet in the morning that we're recording, and so he knows that there's a podcast coming down the pipe, if it's not posted by noon, like, I'll get these texts from Farhan, like, where is it? Like... What a beauty. He is, he's a regular <laughs> listener. He is. It's and, amazing. And not afraid, yeah, not afraid to offer up a critique of the pod after the fact <laughs> as well. So uh, we'll have some fun with him. But before we do that, I just a couple of things at The Athletic right now that I want to make mention of, if people haven't seen them already. Uh, one is that Harm's got a new piece up projecting the Canucks roster and cap situation out over the next couple of seasons beyond this mm. one. And it, you know, I think sometimes we've talked about you know, next year with Pedersen and Hughes. I mean, we've talked that to death. But, you know, I think sometimes it's easier for people to process when they see things laid out in front of them yes. in print like this. And and Harm just kind of underscores the fact that all the topics we've talked about here in the last two months are going to be back in front of us next summer, right? Like, the Canucks are going to oh, be yeah. in cap trouble again whenever next offseason rolls around. For sure they are. Uh, the overall... The overall thrust and thing to keep in mind, too, is, like, Pedersen has a Schedule A bonus or Schedule B bonus that could pay him an additional $2 million, right? Like, he's got $2.85 million in bonuses on his deal, 
he he maxed out his schedule A's, which was 850K, but there's an, another 2 million bonus that he could get. All he has to do is be top 10 by any major offensive category. Goals, assists, points, points per game, or or be a finalist for a major award, right? Like, that's it. That's all he needs to do. That's a high benchmark for most, but is it an unrealistically high benchmark for Pedersen? Like, not really. Guy no. was, like, top 20 in scoring last season. Like, the Canucks power play is going to be good again. He's going to have good line mates. Like, he can definitely be a top 10 points guy in the NHL. I, no question in my mind if he takes any step at all this season. And, and with his work ethic, I think we can expect that. So, you know, in, in the event, like, Harmon, I saw in this piece, projects them with 22-ish million, right, for, for next year to play with. Um, it's amazing how quickly that can go depending on what Hughes manages to do in his platform season. If Pedersen hits those bonuses, what if what if Demko is the Canucks starter next season? He'll have yeah. arbitration rights. Like, that's a $3.5 million goaltender, even if he's not an above-average performer. And if he is, look out. Like, there you go. That's your space. So as much as the Canucks will hurdle some of their bad deals in the next year or two, they're still going to be heavily reliant on finding affordable labor toward the bottom end of their roster, ideally through the draft. And that's why when we talk about Jack Rathbone and Nils Poglander and Vasily Podkolzin, like in, in a lot of ways, we're not talking about them as if they're going to be the next Pedersen and Hughes, because that's not what the Canucks need. They have Pedersen and Hughes. What the Canucks need now is, you know, Brian Bickle, right? Like what they need is, <laughs> well, right? What they need is Alex Goligoski on a on a entry level deal on a cheaper deal than that on a second contract that's worth two two and a half million like that's what's going to put this team over the top in the years to come especially because this team has not gone all in in the last year of Hughes and Pedersen's ELCs yeah but the problem is if they're in cap hell uh, they may only be able to afford like present day Bryant Bickle like a, a 40 year old guy that hasn't played in the league in, <laughs> in five years. Yeah, I mean, that's, but that's, that's, that's the, that's why it's so essential now, right? For the Canucks to hit on, on some players later in the draft. Um, you know, they're going to get into win now mode, I, I think, in the next year or two. They've already kind of been there, right? Like they functioned like a win now team this past year. And then they've reversed course pretty significantly this offseason for reasons that I think, you know, are largely budget related as opposed to anything else. But, um, you know, it's going to be extremely tough to pull off one of the toughest tricks to pull off in, in a cap system, which is improve your depth while making it cheaper all at the same time. That's honestly one of the toughest things to do. It's why as as tough as the Chicago Blackhawks' run with Stan Bowman has been the last three years, like his work from 2011 to 2016, you know, Brandon Saad, Andrew Shaw, like, man, that that was exemplary, right? And, and now, and obviously the Golden Goose has started to lay some coal eggs, but nonetheless, like, that's a tough trick to pull off. Um, it's something the Canucks did for between 08 and 2011, 2011, 12. Um, they won two straight president's trophies. Like the success of a management team in pulling off that trick is decisive. And it's ultimately the biggest task, like the big picture task that awaits Jim Benning and his staff on the other side of this pandemic. I owe Brian Bickle an apology. He's only 34. 
He's still oh, got some wow. good life. He's yeah. got some life left in him. Yeah, he's not he even might... a thirty-five plus contract, Jim. <laughs> <Bat. laughs> hey, the other one, the other piece that I wanted to point out was uh, our colleague Don Lecision. Uh, he's got uh, an item up about consumer confidence in NHL front offices. Canucks ranked twenty-fifth of the thirty-one teams, uh, right in there between Florida and Nashville. Uh, interesting that the fan base had lower confidence than the general public that took part in this poll. And it is, it's it's funny to me because we know on some levels, like the outside forces look at this Canucks team, next Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. They're going to be the one that, you know, break the drought. And yet when Dom does a poll like this one, uh, the Canucks rank 25th when it comes to confidence in the work that the front office is actually doing. Yeah. And, you know, the Canucks are one of the few teams where the fan base is lower on them than the general public. Like, if you look right. through, the general public is, like, way higher on most of the teams than the fan bases themselves. It's, like, Anaheim by point .1, Arizona by a, a little bit, fair enough, point .8, and, like, Chicago by a little bit. But it's, like, for the most part, fans are like, we dig the direction of this team. The public doesn't understand how good this team is. And then in Vancouver, it's like, nah, they don't get it. <laughs> we bad. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so weird. Um, Boston. Boston's the other one. So there's about five teams. Last year, it was only two. When Dom did this last year, there were only two teams where the public was higher on or when the, where the fan base was lower on the team than the public. This year, there's five um, maybe that speaks to how messy hockey operations has been during the pandemic. Like I was thinking about it the other day and I was trying to come up with teams whose off seasons I liked and I couldn't, I couldn't come up with a lot, j Like I really couldn't. I, I just think, I mean, yeah, like who won this off season? Like, I don't know. I don't think anybody, we don't even know, like ta- <laughs> Tampa Bay, Tampa, no, seriously, Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders are like still in still hosed in terms of the cap. Like they'll have to shed, you know, we talk about a cap crunch in Vancouver, like, man, how would we cover the Islanders or the Arizona Coyotes or the Tampa Bay Lightning right now? I mean, if it was the Tampa right. Bay Lightning, yep. we'd be like, whatever yep. they won, who cares? <laughs> 50 Fair years enough. of pain paid off. But other than that, like we would be, you know, completely destroying um, those books, the <laughs> other than Colorado, right? Like other than Colorado getting Devin Taves, um, you Montreal know, spent a bunch of money. Yeah. But did they get better? Like Jake Allen? Like, I mean, they didn't, they didn't really move the needle here. Did they? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, look, if you get a capable backup, Joel Edmondson, you don't rel- yeah, you got for $4 million. They spent $7.5 million in cap during an offseason in which they were the only team spending money, and they added a third-pair defender and a backup goalie. They got Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, that was a good deal. <laughs> that was a good deal. Like, that was a great was. deal. It was a great deal. But, like, and, and I mean, Josh Anderson, but Max Domi's pr- probably a better player, frankly. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say about Montreal is I don't think, I don't think they – I think they were woefully inefficient with their expenditure, but they got pieces that are like the right types of pieces for Claude Julian, and he'll make those moves look better than they were. But they were not good moves. All right. You know what will be a good move? Getting Farhan Lalji uh, on the van cast here. (laughs) 
I can't believe I ended up yelling about the Montreal Canadiens. Wow. <laughs> it must be mid-November, we, bud. We all need hockey back in a big <laughs> way. Seriously. Seriously, let's go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's bring Farhan Lalji of TSN into the mix. Farhan, before you joined us, we were talking about the fact that uh, we know you're a big fan of of this podcast. So is this, a, is this a bigger deal for us to have you on or for you to be on the VanCast? Oh, I tell you, I'm honored. The only thing I feel like, I feel like I should be running because that's usually the way I consume this podcast. And, you know, it's like in the old days, remember when, when Crow was the coach and we had to go into the, the workout room and the guys were on their bikes doing their interviews, right? And they'd be huffing yes. and puffing. I feel like that should be me right now. So, like give us full disclosure like will you listen to this episode like would would you listen to your own episode as you're running or is that too much vanity no that's a bit much vanity i'd probably listen to the few minutes you talk before you have me on Ah. Uh, i can't i can't imagine i'm going to give you enough to make this extended right so i figured the the bulk of the next pod will be you know a a little bit of me at the end and a lot of something else at the beginning so i I'll, i'll listen to the beginning part yeah i mean you'll you'll miss out on me getting worked up about Jeff saying that Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens had a good offseason, uh, which is how you know that we're in the depths of the offseason. Beforehand, I wanted to chat with you especially about the bubble experience because you were there in Edmonton. We spent a lot of time hanging out in masks at the rink. Yep. And, you know, I, I want to know from your experience, having worked, you know, 25 years in sports broadcasting, when you consider how that worked from a media perspective like what would your feedback be if asked how what can we do better the next time around in in a pandemic type environment for providing coverage of these games well first of all more thomas grants because (laughs) i I wasn't far from you and lord knows i learned a lot and then I'd, i'd be seeing your tweets while you're you know 10 feet away and i'm thinking how did he pick that up like i i barely could figure out what was going on and you had it down to the letter Every f bomb, every chirp, every everything. Like I was so impressed. We we need more Thomas Grants if there's going to be more bubbles. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's first and foremost. Uh, secondly, you know, I, I thought it was pretty good, and and maybe I'm desensitized to it to a point, and I think you guys are the same in that we've been to so many practices in an empty NHL arena. So I expected it to be more, you know, disconcerting, and I went there. And it, it didn't necessarily rattle me, just that experience of empty arena, professional athletes, great pace, playing at a high level. To be honest, as the person in the building, what I found the most awkward was the, the piped-in audio. Like, I felt like I was in a video game, right? Because it was NHL 19 yeah. audio effects, and that was the part I'm not used to when I go to a practice. So in terms of what the league did as far as covering up the seats and all the messaging and the additional video boards and the additional production elements. I thought they did as well as they could have done given those circumstances. I'm not sure they, they necessarily could have done anymore. I, you know, I'm not big on what I see in some of the other sports where they've got the fake fans, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily feeling that. I don't know if that's something you think the NHL could have done better, but 
you know, given the circumstances, I, I thought it was pretty good. And I thought the emotion manufactured by the players in that environment, I was pretty impressed with just how much hate was able to develop. And, you know, just all of that part of it that you think the crowd is needed to incite. It really wasn't. The, the players found a way to manufacture that on their own. Agreed. The other part of this that I, I'm curious about is on the other side of this pandemic in a post-vaccinated world or, or what have you, whatever this looks like on the other side, um, do you think we're ever going back into the locker rooms or do you think media access to pro athletes will be forever changed on the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, I have that worry, uh, and I say that because I think the teams are now able to do what they've always wanted to do, right? And that that's kind mm-hmm. of what they do for us. And and I'll say that, you know, from a Canuck perspective, when the pandemic first hit, remember we had those first two games of limited access? I thought they made a pretty good effort, right? I, mean, I remember mm-hmm. when you needed, you know, additional access with somebody. They had the extra locker room set up, and they brought you there, and they had uh, a rope there set up for distance, but at least you could get that one-on-one intimacy, Um the Zoom thing frightens me if it's a long-term solution. Like, if you could at least get us to the point where we could have press boxes, sorry, not press boxes, but a post-game media availability at the podium or a mix zone or just something that gives us the ability to follow up and look at an athlete and have them look back, I think that would be a start. Um, but I'm curious to see if it ever goes back. And I think hockey is the worst because culturally, I think we they're, they're in such a mode of wanting to be hidden, Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to be covert, whether it's injuries or or anything else. I think hockey generally is culturally the worst, but I think all sports are going to be um, in a bit of a bind in that regard. And, and you would hope that the the leagues and the teams see the value of trying to make sure that their audiences remain connected beyond just the game broadcast. Because I, I think from a team perspective on the inside, they just want the broadcast money. They're not interested in you and I. Right. The three of us, eh, we'll take it or leave it. Like, yeah, we like those guys, but we're not necessarily interested in helping those guys. We just want the broadcast money. And and they kind of disassociate news media and its value from broadcast dollars. So I hope the leagues see the bigger picture and know that we provide extra. And for the fans that say they don't care, they just want to see the games, they're lying because I've seen your numbers, right? I know how many people pay money to subscribe to the athletic and to the VanCast. And there is a need and a desire for the extra that you can provide, that we can provide, right? And uh, I, I hope that people see that because, you know, I, your numbers went up during the pandemic. It was amazing to me. Hey, before you joined us on this podcast, we were talking a little bit about consumer confidence in the front office of the Vancouver Canucks. And obviously this is a a Canucks podcast. I mean, we drill down deep, as you know. Uh, As you reflect over the last couple of months here, what have you liked about what the Canucks have done this offseason? And maybe what's your biggest concern about this hockey club moving forward? Well, I like the fact that they stayed disciplined on Markstrom and to a point Tanev, right? Because we don't know what that final offer was that he was sitting on until the next day after ghosting the Canucks, right? But generally, I think they stayed disciplined where in previous years they hadn't. I think it started a year ago when I thought they were disciplined with the Alex Edler contract and they refused to give in on the term uh, and the the no movement restrictions, you know, going into the, the expansion draft. So I thought it began there. It continued here. But what I didn't like was their communication strategy. I, I thought it was awful with all of these guys. And I think it showed up with 
how Tanev eventually dealt with it, with how Stetcher eventually dealt with it, and to a degree with how Toffoli dealt with it, right? That in the end, they just stopped talking to a lot of these guys. And when I, I look at, like, I can't get past the, you gave up Tyler Toffoli for a very manageable number, and you decided to keep Jake Vertanen for what amounted to a $1.7 million gap between those two players. And, and if you ask me, and I'm sure, Thomas, you probably agree, the gap between those two players is a lot wider than $1.7 million. And that was the decision that was made, and I think that was ridiculous. So for a team that has top six forward questions and, and scoring depth questions, and you're, you're going to look at what they did offensively, which was primarily driven by the power play, and people have said to me, well, I mean, Tyler Toffoli was only there post-All-Star break or post-trade deadline, and he only played 10 games for the club and, and so on. But, you know, we see inconsistencies in Brock Besser's game over the years. You could make the case that Tanner Pearson probably is better served as a middle six forward than to be a locked-in top six forward. There's concerns in that group. I don't know that everything's going to go right for them to generate the offense they did. So Toffoli at that number was a no-brainer. And for them to make the decision to go there – or to go to Jake Vertanen instead of Tyler Toffoli, I think was ridiculous. And on that ill-fated Friday, when we got to talk to Jim Benning, I asked the question, will you circle back on Chris Tanev and Tyler Toffoli? And he said, he, he talked about Toffoli that we've got, a, or sorry, to Tanev, we got a call into him. We hope to hear back from him tomorrow. And he didn't respond or mention Toffoli. You hear Toffoli's conversations after he signed with Montreal and he pretty much said, yeah, like they had no money and we, we weren't talking. Um, that's frightening. Just that communications approach to those key guys, I thought, wasn't necessarily the best way to handle it. Because you can always circle back to guys and they couldn't. So just to follow up on that then, we know that there was sort of a clunkiness to some of the negotiation with some of the unrestricted free agents. We You talked about the communication. You know, is there a reason for concern on any level as Jim Benning and this management group address over the next eight months two of the most important and probably two of the biggest contracts, if not the two biggest contracts in the history of this franchise. Yeah, I think there's there's concern. And, and listen, I, I think the market's going to bear what those two players ultimately wind up getting. I mean, the market's going to decide that. And, you know, I, I would be curious to see what some of the other deals are. I mean, there's some other defensemen that are going to be up, you know, at, at the high end of the market. I want to see what happens with some of those guys and where the Canucks time out on that, right? I mean, are you going to make your decisions first or are you going to wait to see how the flat cap environment affects those deals? Are we going to see the full-term deals? Are we going to find bridge deals, not necessarily to get those players to UFA status, but to let the market correct itself and see what happens maybe in three years when we finally get fully past the pandemic. So, you know, will they get out in front of it or will they wait and react? I'm curious to see what happens there. But my bigger concern, guys, is how do you fix the rest of the roster? Because this is not as simple as those two contracts. You guys know that because in, in another year, you know, they're going to have to make decisions on other players like Thatcher Demko, if he winds up hitting, like Brock Besser, you know, like Bo Horvat, like all of these guys year by year by year over the next three years, you're going to have to make decisions on them one at a time and, and they're going to get real money, right? I mean, it's it's not going to be that they're they're going to be on friendly deals at the time. So I just don't know how this group is going to manage it and is this group equipped to manage it now generally where does this group screw up they screw up on signing somebody else's free agents right i mean that's the that's the big problem 
And, you know, I don't think they're going to put themselves in a position to do that. Um, but, um, you know, I'm going to give them some benefit of the doubt in terms of their own free agents because their their history on those guys hasn't necessarily been too bad. It's the other free agents that, that's been more of a problem. Farhan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We had a poll from a VanCast listener, Andrew Chung, over the weekend. And he asked, who would you rather eat a sandwich with, J-Pat, myself, Drancer, or Louis, Louis Erickson? Well, Louis Erickson, because he's more likely to buy. <laughs> wow. That is, that's the correct answer. I'm pretty sure. Like, um, the conversation wouldn't be nearly as engaging. Uh, there wouldn't be as many $5 words, I'm sure. Like, if you if you gave me the choice based on wordsmith, it would it would go to Thomas Drench. You're also the best wing eater, so if the question was wings, not sandwich, <laughs> I'd go in that direction. But uh, just based on the ability to buy, I think Louis Erickson. Fair. That, that, raw self-interest wins the day. I, I appreciate that. Um, when, we've talked about communication. We've talked about the Canucks' need to get better and cheaper in terms of their supporting cast. Do you see any red flags from how this offseason played out when you extrapolate that into what faces this club as they look to build around Hughes and Pedersen? Well, you know, that's the biggest challenge. And, and you know, you asked me about my confidence in the management group. I think what we've seen is an inability to correct their mistakes, right? And first of all, we haven't, you know, we haven't even had them necessarily admit they've made some mistakes, but the contracts are in front of us for, you know, for us to see. And they're, they're going to have to correct those mistakes. And I think right now, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, the feeling is they're just going to ride these contracts out. I, I just, they've probably been told by ownership that, look, we're not going to, you know, we'll let you spend to the cap, but we're not necessarily going to fix your problems for you in, in the way of a buyout. So they're going to have to ride these out. And when I look at this roster and when I look at the inefficiencies in their bottom six, it's frightening. And they're going to have to accelerate the development curve for some of these young guys. So whether it's whether it's Hogland or whether it's Pod Colson coming in this year or in Pod Colson's case, maybe at the end of this year, you know, how, can those guys perform not necessarily to the level of Hughes and Pedersen, but can they perform like competent NHL players right out of the gate like those players did? Can Yule Levy build on what he did last year? Can, uh, you know, whoever they bring in, whether it's Chatfield or Rafferty or, or um, Rathbone, can any of those guys, because we're not talking about one defenseman, we're probably talking about two, right? You look at, they're, they're going to need a five and they're going to need a seven with Jordy Ben sliding in as the six. So, you know, can those guys come in and early on, again, not play at the level of Hughes and Pedersen, but can they be legitimate, competent NHL players? Will we see enough improvement from a guy like Adam Gaudet, like internal improvement and growth? You know, we talked about the amount of sheltered minutes that he played last year. Can he be a legitimate third-line player? Because while he was listed as their third-line guy in terms of ice time and deployment, he was a fourth-line guy. So they're going to have to count on a lot of things in the building because I just don't think they're equipped to add and fix around the rosters, nibble around the edges. You know, you've made the great points over the years that that when people didn't want to give Mike Gillis enough credit for bringing in the core of the team, the additional moves around the edges of that roster, that's what led to the success in 2011 and those, you know, the two President's Trophy teams and and what they were able to do. That's a skill, man. Like, that's a skill. And these guys have tried to nibble around their bottom six by overpaying and overterming, and now they can't correct the problems. Farhan, I mean, so much talk right now about Travis Green. 
is he the right guy for the job moving forward? And will he have a new extension in place whenever the puck drops next? Well, he has to be. I mean, he if ever a coach has earned it, Travis Green has earned it, right? I mean, for him to, you know, see consistent improvement with this team throughout the years, they took a significant leap last year before the pandemic hit, uh, you know, just in terms of their point projection, in terms of how, you know, we, when we talk about Travis Green, we don't see underperforming guys. We, we don't see players that don't, hit their ceiling or trend to the ceiling. And I think that's what we see with most of his young players. I mean, you can certainly make the case for the veteran players that they brought in that they haven't necessarily given uh, what the Canucks need to see. But in terms of young players, they progress. And you've got to give Travis a lot of credit for that. And, you know, as this team makes that move from, you know, young team to a team that's right in its window, um, I, I think he deserves the opportunity to see it through. He navigated the pandemic. Uh, you know, he got them ready in, in that environment last year where, and they, again, they, they reached their ceiling. They got everything out of that lineup. I use a, I use a phrase in terms of, you know, do you squeeze every drop of juice out of the orange? And I think Travis has done that. And um, the fact that his contract isn't tied to a cap, I get where the, the organization is in terms of revenue, but you've got to make this decision. You've got to suck this up if you're ownership and get him signed to a, you know, three years at three million per, or or you know whatever the right number is. I mean, he's not going to command five, but the you know the ownership group because they've been able to backload all their other deals uh, relative to the salary cap. I don't know that you can necessarily do that here. They've got to pay the man. All right, a nice run here on the Vancast. We know that uh, you like to listen to the Vancast when you run. I, I saw <laughs> you tweet out at the outset of this month that you're not growing a mustache from November but you are in the midst of a fundraising campaign. So uh, we want to give you the floor here. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on and how people can support you. Well, the folks in November, they, they came to a bunch of our, our uh, talent at TSN and they kind of gave us the option to grow the mustache, which I did like when I was 13, right? And it didn't look good then. <laughs> so, I, you know, and, and people tell me like I could pull off the goatee, but people tell me that's not the same, that if you're going to grow for November, it's got to be just the mustache. And, and I'm not feeling that. So I've been running a lot. So I, they, they've said you got to do at least 60. Uh, you've got to do at least 60K during the month. So I'm usually in the 80 to 100, uh, thanks to you guys, right? You keep me going. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've guaranteed that. So if you if you get on my social media uh, platforms, you'll be able to see the, the links to get to my November fundraising page. So please get on. I mean, you guys know that, that men's health and prostate cancer and the other things that are around Movember are, are really important. They're close to all of us. I encourage everybody to get tested and, um, you know, make sure, you know, I went through that process when I turned 50, I did all the testing. I did some additional testing a year ago. Uh, it's not always comfortable. It's not always comfortable to think about possibly having it, but knowing ahead of time uh, makes all the difference in the world. So, uh, you know, get tested and if you can support the cause, I'd appreciate it. All right. Well, there you go. Check out Farhan's social channels. Hey, long overdue. Uh, to get you on the pod here, we certainly thank you for your support because uh, you have been uh, outspoken about uh, being a listener, and and I know that uh, you check us out on the regular, and and we keep you company on your on your run. So uh, the best hey, the best part of the off season is I can go back. I rarely ever miss one, but I've missed the mailbag edition. So I'll go back and listen to the mailbag. Well, that was a good one. Yeah, I you don't want to miss that one. That'll be a long run for you too. That was. Uh, You'll get the whole sixty k in. Yes. <laughs> awesome, Farhan. Thanks so much for doing this. All right, take care, guys. Our thanks to Farhan Lalji stopping by here and, and truly overdue to get him on this podcast. Yeah, so uh, we're glad best. that we 
we'll have to get him back soon. Uh, we didn't even touch <laughs> on football. That's, that's his true passion, but uh, that's for another time. Maybe it's an excuse to get him back on the pod. Uh, I just wanted to mention, too, that Bobby Ryan, who's got such a compelling story when you think of the ups and downs of his National Hockey League career, uh, now with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, signed with them in the offseason. He's Craig Custance's guest this week on the full 60 at The Athletic. So if you're looking for other listing options, you may want to check that out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Drancer, let's just finish up on this note because we've known this for a while and so have they. Uh, but this is a tough week around the Vancouver Canucks front office um, and people that we have worked really closely with. Uh, are no longer with the organization as of Friday. Mm-hmm. That uh, layoff notices went out in July and Friday the 13th here in November of all days. Uh, but Stephanie Maniego, who has been on the job for 15 years in the PR department, uh, Victoria Ulrich, not as long, but uh, certainly she took over. I saw Ben Brown called her the Zoom guru uh, in his email to let us know that uh, this was their final week. And, and that's certainly the case for Victoria. There may not be a a more pleasant person on the planet to deal with, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and Steph, when you think, and look, you've done this job, like, I didn't realize, but really a trailblazer among females working for Canadian NHL teams and has been at this for 15 years through the Stanley Cup run and the Olympics and uh, the Sedin's jersey retirement and, and so many memories there. But Look, it's a male-dominated world, let's be honest, right? The hockey world is. It's changing. Yep. But, like, I'm sure she was certainly early in her career put in some tough spots and, uh, again, a pleasure to deal with as well. So uh, the pandemic sucks. It does. It, uh, there's no other way around it. And good people are out of work because of it. Uh, they're not selling any tickets. We know that, uh, you know, there is a, a bit of a cash crunch when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. And, unfortunately, uh, it's staffers like Steph and Victoria that are, are bearing the brunt. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Like it's it's just so cruel. And you know, Steph's as good as it gets in this business. Awesome to work with. Extraordinarily accommodating. Publications through the roof. Like she, I hope our cross. I I know our paths will cross again in this business because she's uh, just tremendous. And Victoria, I want to just give a special shout out because she, when she joined the organization, took over uh, shepherding the Botchford project, uh, right. which required a ton of buy-in from the Canucks organization. Um, you know, she delivered on a ton of that after Alfred moved over to the, uh, you know, gaming side and just really crushed it. Like, was awesome to work with and, and did a tremendous job executing that particular project, a project that I know is close to both of our hearts. So... Uh, terrible like it's just terrible it's awful news um but you know they are both tremendous and and they shouldn't be out uh, out of work long in this business or in pr generally because uh, they know what they're doing they're through and through a plus professionals um and if you're listening and looking for an experienced comps pro like you can't do better than them uh but i hope they're back at the rink when whenever you know things normalize on the other side of this pandemic. Uh, I kind of can't imagine covering the Canucks without them. 
Well said. Uh, yeah. So thanks to both Stephanie and Victoria for uh, all the work that they've done. And uh, look, in these last couple of years for me, as I traveled around, like I went into that part of the project completely blind and I needed my hand held. And I told Steph, I, I reached out, I had a good chat with her earlier in the week and, and just said like, you know, thanks for 15 years, but particularly these last couple when I didn't know where I was going, how to get into some of these buildings, how to navigate <laughs> my way around. And you know, like some of these buildings are, they're mazes, let's be honest, right? Like to find oh, yeah. a way up to the press box or down to the <laughs> locker room area. And so totally. uh, she was a terrific, <laughs> terrific resource in that There's regard. nothing worse. There's nothing worse in this job than walking around the outside of an arena in Ugh. inclement weather trying to figure out how to get in. Like, it is... Done it. Too many legit- times. Oh, too many times. It's it's a hazard of the job, but, like... And, and you know, I know these buildings inside and out, inside, now. Yeah. But I don't know how to enter it without my, like, team credential. <laughs> so it happens to me a fair bit. But, no, look, they, they do an unbelievable work. And that that, like, shepherding, you know clueless media through foreign environments like that's such a tough part of the job uh steph always does it ably she does everything ably i mean honestly this was awful news to get this week uh and i was just the absolute best for both of them quality people quality pros just want to finish up with a quick story and i mean i I think of other things when i think of stephanie maniego but this one jumped to mind that earlier this year and it was that Part of the road trip where they played the Islanders at Barclays Center on a Saturday afternoon and played in Carolina on Super Bowl Sunday. You weren't on that part of the journey, right? You joined in Minnesota, didn't you? Or Boston? Uh, Boston. Boston, right. Beanpot. So uh, an afternoon game at Barclays Center against the Islanders. Canucks won in overtime. And Patrick Johnson and I both had evening flights after the New York game to get to Carolina uh, in time for an afternoon game on Sunday. So we took our luggage Checked out of the hotel, both took our suitcases to Barclays Center and mm. asked Steph if I could just leave my luggage with her somewhere secure during the game, right? I didn't want to take it up to the press yep. box. And then when we ran down to the locker room afterwards, leave my, my suitcase, uh, you know, it's a five-game Especially in that trip. press box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I said, Steph, can you, you know, do you mind? Like, can you just park these somewhere back in the training room, a coach's room, whatever. Of course. Yeah, no problem. So she does that. We do our interviews. She wheels these suitcases out for both of us. Great. We got our work done. We go to JFK to catch this flight to Raleigh. And Patrick goes through security. I follow him. And I put my bag on the belt at security. And I get flagged for secondary. And the guy says, uh, you know, I'm going to open this up. And he opens the bag up. And he pulls out a half drunken bottle of water (laughs) to my shock and my horror like i did not put it there sometime between leaving it in the canucks locker room and picking it up and i didn't even think to open it up i trusted all of these professionals i'm now at security at jfk and this guy pulls this out and sort of holds it up like a trophy and i i had no knowledge and so i'm trying to play it cool and I'm thinking, holy fuck, like, if that's in there, what else has been stuffed in my suitcase? <laughs> and Patrick Nothing, is right? already through, and he's looking, and, like, I don't think he knows what's going on. Anyways, I've never got to the bottom of it. I have no idea who it was, oh, but somebody. That's, that's a coach. I have my, I that's have my, coach. Sus- I have my suspicions. <laughs> I don't know where that bag ended up during the game, but it had my name on yeah, it. And that's, that's somebody. A coach. Yes. So. <laughs> that's a coach, and that's hilarious. By the way, one thing that really gives 
um, security scanners a lot of problems is a puck. Like if a, a hockey puck is in your carry-on luggage, it really messes with the scanners. Like it just looks like a black void that they kind of can't see through. So right. you always get flagged and, and double-checked if you have a puck in your bag. And I know this because for years I'd carry like an additional four or five pucks and, and some silver Sharpies just in case I was ever with someone who's from from whom an autograph was you know what i mean like yep. someone comes up and they're like hey can i have your autograph and the player doesn't have anything you know like you pull out a puck and a sharpie you're a hero right so to some kid you're a hero so i always did it and i'd always forget to take them out when i went on personal trips and then i'd get flagged every single time i went to the airport for two and a half years i don't know why i just thought of that but um just a piece of advice to everyone don't keep pucks in your carry-on Check I'm always that. I'm amazed I don't get flagged more when I think of all the equipment, the electronic equipment, the microphones, <laughs> the the camera that I travel with, the, all the cables and cords and everything else. Uh, none of that seems to matter, but you stuff a half drunk water bottle in there, and <laughs> fortunately that was it. That was the extent of it. The story has a good ending here. They uh, I, I just told the guy to throw it away, and he didn't question me any further. But for a few split seconds, we got to get just, we got to do an episode of this. We should do a serial like an episode like serial where we investigate. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, I, and ultimately, just, and ultimately, like, and ultimately, like, accuse somebody. Um, I, I'm I'm going to start out and accuse Nolan Baumgartner, and then we'll work back and uh, and see if I'm right. Okay. Well, yes, we've got some time to kill. That may <laughs> we may have to do that on. I just for a few split seconds, the, the thought in my head was play it cool, but what the hell else has been stuffed <laughs> in my suitcase? Anyways. The caper. Yes, oh, got, so through good. It, uh, got through it all okay. Hey, check out the comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And don't forget, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 Canadian a week. That's going to do it for this episode. Our thanks to Farhan Lalji. Uh, for Drancer, it's J-Pat, as always. Thanks so much for your support and listening to The VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Athletic.com.